This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. I persecuted the Church of God, but by the grace of God I now I am, and His grace to me is not a last day. No one but possible in the audience, yet not by the presence of God um, I've read that passage today as a kind of a summary passage really of what I want to speak on because I, I want to continue to think about the Easter period. I know we celebrated Easter a few weeks ago but actually we are still in that kind of day after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to many, and as I've just read, um, about 500 different people. And so I want to take a look at, the, at some of those encounters that Jesus has with different people. So there's a lot of Bible passages that I want to look at, and you'll be glad to know I'm not going to read them all, but I'll put them on the screen in a bit, and um, I'll just pick bits from them. But I think that passage kind of has a bit of a summary of where we're to go today. I'm a little bit traditional at heart, I think. And um, I'm a bit of a skipper for the old church calendar. So I like to still, I'm still thinking, oh, Easter, we're still in Easter. Um, so I'm going to share a little uh, a bit about that today. But before I do that, I want you to think um, about a time when you, in your life, might <coughs> misplay something and you've lost it and you can't for life you find where it is. How many times has that happened to us? Yeah? And you just can't find your passport. Or the driving I don't know how many times I've had to go rooting around for a birth certificate or something. And I just think every time this, I was put it somewhere where you'll remember. But of course, that's the worst thing, isn't it? You put it in a safe place, and you sure as hell are not going to find what you're looking for. Um, and when I was growing up, um, I am still growing up, but you know, when I was a child, when I was growing up and living at my parents' house, um, my mum used to say, when we used to go to her and say, I can't find this or I can't find that, she used to say to us, her phrase was, are you looking or are you dad looking? Okay. <laughs> now, I bless it, my dad is not here to defend himself. And um, John will have a lot of sympathy with this because my dad grew up in a household of four women. Um, he looks like her. And bless him, he was the butt of all the jokes. And um, he was the one that was always being a little dot at by us ladies. But my mum went, really, have you really searched for it, or are you just doing it badly? So have you gone to the cupboard and opened it, and actually rummaged around and looked, or have you done what my dad does, and opened the cupboard, looked, and going, oh, it's not there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't want to accept this, but... <laughs> so she used to say that, and you know what, the truth is, is that it still happens, because only two weeks ago I went to my parents' house, and I needed something from the shed. And so I said to my dad, I need this from the shed. He said, well, the thing is, Nick, I've lost the keys to the shed. I was like, all right, okay. And the problem, um, he said, I've got is that the shed's padlocked. And I've got a feeling I've left the keys in the shed, come out and padlocked it. That's not good. Well, I sent him on his way out to have a look for the keys whilst I can't find what I needed to do. And he came out and said, no, I can't find the keys. I must have locked them in the shed. And so bless him. You know my dad, you've got four chefs, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a bit of a safe chef, I think. 
I'm not sure that there's anything about my mum and dad, but he spends a lot of time back And he doesn't he's got four sheds, and then he's like five possessions. And he ended up having to like hack the whole lock up, the door like splintered, and it's wooden shed, and it's all good. Goes in, you know what I'm going to say? No, the keys aren't there, are they? Right. So he's wrecked the door of the shed, the keys aren't there, still there, you know, can't find it. Anyway, I've got one of them. Within the hour, my mother came home, and we said what had happened. Two minutes later, literally two minutes later, she walked out with the keys to the shed. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, oh, where were they? We had a bad phone, you know, didn't look that like that. Um, but, you know, we do often misplace something, and it's such a frustration when we lose it and then we can't find it. Um, I have as you all know, a love-hate relationship with the gym. And I am a member of the gym, but it's an expensive membership for the amount I use it. And um, I went to the gym this week, and because I am a bit intimidated by gyms, I have to try and pretend to look cool. And so I go in, and I, I, I'm pretending to look like I know what I'm doing. And so I went to the bike, sat on the bike, headphones in, my iPhone, to put it on, stuck behind me, music after the Maybe there's something bigger that God is doing. 
And so I'd like us to have a little look at these post-resurrection encounters. I think we can learn something of the times when Jesus met with different people. You know, what I love, love, love about the Bible is this, that there isn't anything in there that's an accident. Okay, so every scripture, every story is applicable for us. And even though it was written way back then, and God and Jesus was appearing to people way back then, it's so ready and relevant for us today. The stories are for us. And if we will have a look at them, and we might be able to just see something that is right. And I think these encounters that Jesus had with people are so significant that we can learn from. So I want to take you, first of all, to the encounter that um, Jesus had with Mary Magdalene in the garden. And I want to go, oh yeah, look at that. Like, brilliant, you want it? Okay, thank you. Um, oh no, I'm shooting fast. Okay, so I want to take you to this, and if you want to look up the Bible passages there, I'm not going to read it all to you, because like I said, I'll be here all morning. Um, so I've just put it up there that you can take a little glance at. But the first encounter that Jesus had is in the garden, and Mary Madeline has gone to the tomb, and she's expecting to see Jesus' body there, but it's gone. And she She's there and she has this encounter with Jesus. And I really, really just love the fact that this is in the Bible, that Jesus' first encounter is with Mary Magdalene. Now, this is, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, this is a whole other sermon, but I love the fact that Jesus comes and meets Mary first. That's so significant. This woman who's been an outcast, this woman who's been demon possessed, the fact that she was a woman is just amazing. Because in those days, you know, it's such a patriarchal society, women weren't considered with anything, and Jesus shows up and reveals himself to Mary, when he could have revealed himself to the other disciples as well, and been there just before, but they're gone. Anyway, it's a different time. But Jesus is there, and so she's there in this garden, and she is in blood to see, she's weeping, she's in anguish, okay? It's an anguish of love, because... She'd lost her Lord, Jesus. That was bad enough. And she goes to the tomb, and now his body's not there either. And the angel says, to woman, why are you crying? And she said, they have taken my Lord away. I don't know where they put him. At least she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realise that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've got him and I'll get it. She's lost her Lord, and now she can't even see his body. And sometimes I wonder whether we end up in this place, in the garden, just like Mary, in the place of tears in our lives, in the place of heartache, in the place of disappointment. The place where we have a real sorrow, a real anguish. And we are in that place. We find ourselves there in a dark day of upset and turmoil and anguish. And we're trying to be Jesus. And we just can't find him. We're trying to see God show up. And we just can't see him there. But the thing was, all along he was there. All along Jesus was there, but when she looks around, she thinks he's the gardener. <coughs> so Mary is in tears, she's, she's in anguish, she turns around, she sees Jesus, she thinks it's the gardener. Of course she thinks it's the gardener. She's not expecting to see Jesus, the risen Lord. 
And I wonder sometimes if we're a little bit like Mary. Perhaps, you know, when we are going through a real heartache, a real disappointment, a time of real hurt, we can be asking, God, where are you? But it's because we're looking for a certain type of God. We're looking for a certain aspect. We presume we're going to see God in a certain way. She presumed that Jesus was the gardener because that made sense. She's in the garden. She wasn't expecting to see Jesus the living Lord. And I wonder if times in our lives when we go through stuff of heartache and disappointment, we're expecting to see a certain type of aspect, a certain type of nature of God. And what we're not seeing is this aspect or this certain nature of God. We're looking for something and we're not really realising what's actually there. It's possible that we can carry man with us all our lives a certain way of looking at God and what he does. And really boxing God in into a small God. When God is so much bigger than we can ever imagine. You only have to look around the world to see God working, to see the car work in many, many different ways. How many of us have asked the question, where is God? And all the time, perhaps, he's there, or he is there. Or perhaps we just don't recognize him. Because we're looking for a certain aspect of God's character. We want to see God heal us. We're looking for God to heal us. But we don't realize we have a God who suffers with us as well. We're looking for God, the provider, and not realizing actually we have a God of faithfulness. A God who is our rock that we can trust in and depend on. We're looking for God, the protector, when actually we have to go through some stuff, but God is there, that he's by our side. I could go on and listen to different things, but we presume we're going to see God in this way, when actually God is working in this way. And all the time we cry out where he's gone, God is there. Jesus was there in the garden with Mary. She just couldn't see it, but he was there. Perhaps, you know, we sin or we do something wrong and, and we feel where is God, we're expecting to see God as the judge when we don't realise that God is the saviour, the forgiver, the one who gives us Christ and mercy. Jesus doesn't announce to Mary who he was. He doesn't come and go, Mary, it's me, it's Jesus. He asks all these questions, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Do you ever think, why did Jesus ask those questions? He knew, the, it, like, he knew the answer. He wasn't asking because he didn't know the answer, did he? So why is he asking Mary a question? Well, perhaps, maybe, it was to try and cut through her unbelief and her forgetfulness of the fact that Jesus had said this would happen. Jesus said to her, Mary. And as soon as he says Mary, she realises it's Jesus. I think that's so beautiful. Spurgeon says this, Jesus preaches a perfect sermon in the word. Why? Because he doesn't go to Mary and reveal himself and say, this is me. How does he reveal himself? He reveals himself by telling her who she is. Jesus says, Mary, wow, it's Jesus the Lord. And I wonder perhaps whether we would be more able to see God Maybe he would reveal himself more when we understand who we are in Christ. And perhaps when we get that revelation of who we are as children of God, you know, was saying about singing that, 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 that idea of being children of God, if we get that revelation in our life, perhaps it's seeing who we are in Christ 
that will enable us to see who God is to us. I think that's a beautiful scene right there. Where is God when you're weeping? Where is God when you're upset? What can I tell you this? I think that He's right there with you. He's right there with you. He'll bring you comfort. And maybe it's for us to try and see God perhaps in a new way. A new aspect of his nature and his characteristics. <coughs> for us to ask God, what is it that you're trying to show us as I go through this? So there's the garden. And then we get to the road. And we have Cleopas and his companion. And this is a insightful passage here where you have these two disciples. They're, they're on the road to America. And they're filled with questions because what's happened is obviously Jesus has been crucified and they thought he was the one that would be in Israel. Now not only has that happened, but these women are saying that he's risen and angels have been there and all of this and it's a right state of confusion that they happen to be in. And they're walking along this road discussing the events that are happening and Jesus comes alongside them. It's amazing. It's great. So it's a road of confusion and it's a road of dash hope because they say in verse 21, the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to the sentence of death and they crucified him. They're talking to Jesus, but they don't realise it's Jesus. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They hadn't fully understood, had they? None of them had fully understood what was going on. So they're downcast. Their hopes have been dashed. This is their expectation of what was going to happen and it's gone. And so they're telling Jesus, this stranger, they presume this stranger on the road about it. But they're confused. In verse 22 it says, In addition, some women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. And didn't find his body. And they came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels and, he, and said he was alive. They were hearing accounts of what had happened. And they can't make sense of it. It's a bewilderment for them. And I kind of think this can relate to us as well, because in our journey, in our Christian journey, sometimes we can find ourselves with dashed hopes, things we've set our sights on, things we've hoped for. And sometimes we can be a bit confused. We've thought things were going to work out this way, and they haven't. And we get to a place in our life, a circumstance, a situation, and we say, how did I get here? I didn't think it was going to be like this. I didn't plan for my life to be like this. I didn't think I'd ever be in the situation or circumstance that I'm in, but here I am. And sometimes our hopes can be dashed. And sometimes we can feel confused. Maybe promises that we've felt were given to us, promises that we were clinging to, but have never materialised and manifested themselves. And we continue on this walk, we continue on this road, but it seems a bit confusing. Sometimes even the Christian faith itself can be confusing. Like, it just really is. Sometimes we can question sorts of things. And on top of all that, we struggle then to identify God. Yeah. We can't see God in it. And the disciples were much in the same position. They were having that confusion. Their hopes had been dashed. And Jesus is walking with them the whole time and they don't realise it. They don't realise it's Jesus. And then later on in the passage in verse 30 31 it says their eyes are opened and they recognise Jesus because he's there at the table with them and he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it. And when they suddenly see again who Jesus is and then suddenly Jesus disappears. 
But actually, fear is like just worry, isn't it? If we're worried about something, we're afraid of it. If we're letting worry or anxious thoughts come into our life, it's something to do with fear. It's linked. We're worried about something. And sometimes I find myself in, in situations where I'm extremely worried, fearful, something, whatever is ahead. But God breaks in. And we're in the middle of what's going on in their fear. He's in the midst of it. And he says, I'm going to bring you peace. And still remaining in the house is the next scene with Thomas. And you've got the lone disciples and then you've got Thomas. I always feel a little bit sorry for Thomas. Because he's called down from coming to him. But they all doubted. All the disciples did. It's just that Thomas wasn't there with the initial appearance. And so when they tell him, he's out as well. That's what So he's part of doubting Thomas. And then he's got that ever since. When we see him in heaven, we'll say, it's all right, Thomas. <laughs> but the disciples doubted, Thomas was doubting as well. And he didn't know if Jesus had really risen. And we can find ourselves in a place of doubt. We can be uncertain. Is this really it? Is God really true? We ever ask ourselves that? You know, have I got it right, this Christianity love? Is it all making sense? And then the problem is, when we start questioning like that, then we feel guilty that we question that. And it all gets a vicious circle. We can find ourselves being in a place of doubt at times. I don't think that's a, a, a bad thing. I don't really need to stress. I think it's okay. Because Jesus breaks in here to his place of doubt. And interestingly, this is the only place in the Gospel where Jesus is addressed as my Lord and my God, and it's here by Thomas. And it was this place of doubt, it was this circumstance, that enabled Thomas to see Jesus as he really was. It was this circumstance where Thomas was able to say, my Lord and my God, and he recognised Jesus for who he was. I wonder perhaps sometimes that we go through things and the reason why we go through them is because we'll be able to see eventually who God really is. There will be a new revelation of God to us. And actually, without that thing, we've never seen Jesus the way he wants us to see him. And the key to this verse, I think, in this uh, chapter is verse 29. Jesus says, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is it, isn't it? Because seeing isn't everything. And Jesus wasn't just referring to blessed are those who do not see me and put their faith in me. I think it's more than this. I think he's saying, blessed are those who are believing, who don't see me, and yet are continuing in their belief. Blessed are you when you are in your circumstances and situation and you continue day after day, week after week, year after year, to believe in Christ. Blessed are you. Even when there's times in our life and it seems like we are asking the question, where is God? We can't see him. But blessed are you when you still believe. <coughs> we may be in that place like that. But blessed are we when we continue to put our trust in God. Because God, Jesus was there. He revealed himself to the disciples. He revealed himself to the disciples. He brought actually assurance to them. And he said, peace, my peace be with you. And we can cling on and hold on still 
to the peace that God gives us, even though we may not see God manifesting himself in a big way in our And last of all, I'm going to take you to the mountain place. Because Jesus gathers his disciples on the mountain, and we know this passage very well, the Great Commission. And they go up the mountain with Jesus. And interestingly, it says in this verse, it says that when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So they go up the mountain with Jesus, who they've known for these last, well, three years in ministry. And Jesus knew that there were a number of people worshipping him and a number of people who actually still doubted. But maybe that wasn't the big thing. Maybe the big thing for Jesus was actually that they were obedient to him and they saw him off. And when Jesus said, come up to the mountain, they did. Maybe he wasn't saved by the fact that he had those who were worshipping and those who still doubted. What he wanted was obedience. And obedience was coming from both groups as he gave that great commission and that purpose. Acts 1, 6 to 8 says, But you will see power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the important thing was that they knew their purpose. And that they knew they were receiving power from God and they knew that they were his witnesses prepared to lay down their lives. It wasn't whether they could see Jesus or not, whether they doubted or worshipped him. It was about their obedience and knowing their calling. We can be in situations in our lives, we can be on the Christian journey, and we can be in times when we can go, well, where are you? Well, where are you? I, I just feel like I'm alone in this. I just can't see you working right now. And maybe God is saying, you know what? It's almost important. <coughs> but the most important thing is that you remember that I have commissioned you and that I have called you, and that you are my child, and I have chosen you, and this commission is for you. And it's to hold on firm to that faith. Maybe we feel a bit like that on the mountain sometimes, where everybody's worshipping. And like, God, I can't feel you. I can't feel you. Everybody else has had some encounter. And you feel like, I don't feel it. Well, there will be a time when we do. And Jesus says, know your purpose. Know that I come to give you the Holy Spirit. Know that I come to give you power so that you can be my witness. Whereas Jesus, he's commissioned us. Maybe when we ask the question, where is God? Perhaps the question should really be, where are we? Where are we on our journey? Because in every case we look at, in every encounter that Jesus had with these different disciples, and like I said again, they're not accidental, they really are relevant for us. Every situation, Jesus was there. And in every situation, it was Jesus doing the seeking, looking for the people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where we are, whether we're in hopelessness or confusion, whether we're in fear or in doubt whether we're in anguish, whether it's the garden, whether it's the road, whether it's the uh, house or the mountain, whatever place we find ourselves in, Jesus is there and he still pursues us and he still wants us. 
We can all struggle to see God at some point in our life. We can all struggle to see Jesus manifest himself. When we're sick and we can't see the healer, when we're confused and we can't see the shepherd, when we're fearful and we can't see the protector. But what's important is this, that we have a faith and that we have a trust and we have an assurance in our heart that he's with us. He's with us in the garden and he's in the midst. He's with us on the road as we're walking by us. He's with us in the house, he brings us peace. He's with us on the mountain, he commissions us to go. He's with us. Maybe that's the important thing. That we know that we are called. That we know that we are chosen and we are commissioned to go. In 1 Peter 1.8 it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You see, the garden, the road, the house, and the mountain, they're just places we find ourselves in, in life. But we don't necessarily have to see God manifest himself to keep going. We can be in the group of doubters with the worshippers. I don't think God is too old. Let me encourage you with this as I close. You know, in our times, in our Christian life, in our journey, and it does get a little bit too much. And the circumstance seems a little bit hopeless. And we ask where this goes. Can I encourage you to make sure you read this? Because this is where God is. And this is for us. And everything in here is for us. You see, when we're weeping and we're hurt and we're upset, it says that God is the comforter. It says He is the one that's with us. He brings His presence to us. When we're confused and we feel hopeless, there's an enemy of us, but he walks right beside us. When we're afraid, it says he brings peace. When we're in doubt, he says he brings assurance. <coughs> God is for us and commissioning us and with us. I'm going to invite the worship group to come back. And we will, um, we will sing a final song. And as we do this, can I encourage you? I know that everything that's been said today, you won't remember it all. And they won't, you won't take it all away. But there might be one thing there. There might be one aspect that we can learn from those encounters that Jesus had with these disciples that we can then bring into our life. We can make it relevant to us. I don't think I'm alone in my journey with this thing to say that it's a struggle sometimes. Sometimes it really does feel like we're doing it alone.
download from Delancey Elim Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk.